You might be surprised to see that this morning I am not glowing, not levitating, not flying. There's no incredible strength emanating from my body. There's no big block of ice that I'm going to break through by faith or any steel bars that I'm going to bend. You might be surprised to look around at all the normal looking people uh, around you and, and realize that this is not an assembly of superheroes of people who uh, could fly around or leap over buildings in a single bound. But maybe nobody really says it so crassly or maybe makes such a ridiculous picture out of it. But the limitlessness, the glory, the 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 power that is supposed to emanate from from Christians who have the 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 power of God that is supposed to be immediately visible and it's supposed to be demonstrated in our in our bodies and our lives that gets sold and it gets bought, which means that it gets believed. The reality is, is that. We are not obviously strong. We're not apparently glamorous or glorious or, or able or we do not have this, this glow of God's power in us. Instead, what I hope you'll see today is that the treasure of the gospel which is the treasure, the treasure of the gospel, of the glory of God and the face of Jesus Christ. It is, it is something that we possess by faith in Jesus Christ. That, that is, we are saved by Jesus Christ and it is great and it is glorious. But our, it is not immediately obvious in our bodies. We are not going to glow with the power of God here in these bodies. Instead, the the light of the gospel, of the glory of God, is contained in fragile containers, fragile bodies. So today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4, we're going to start in verse 6. What I want you to see first is that the power belongs to God. The power belongs to God. 2 Corinthians 4, we're going to start in verse 6. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, the power belongs to God. Start in verse 6, it says, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also may be manifested in our in our mortal flesh so death is at work in us but life in you verse 7 starts to talk about the treasure 
the treasure. The treasure is what's described in verse 6. It is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is what we, this is what we are able to behold. This is what we are able to see through Jesus Christ. It is what is proclaimed to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is proclaimed. We have had the blinders taken away by the Spirit of God. We see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ because He died for us. He rose for us and we have this treasure. It is, it is ours. It is the treasure of the gospel. We have, even picking up on the the same image that Jesus used, we have abandoned all of the treasures of this world to have the treasure of Jesus Christ. We do indeed, who believe in Jesus Christ, do indeed have treasure. The treasure. The treasure that makes all other treasures pale in comparison. But this treasure is in jars of clay. The reason why he uses that, when he talks about jars of clay, he's talking about something that is just the, what we think of as a cheap plastic water bottle. Just a cheap household container that is very fragile. You know, if anybody uh, in the Old Testament, if, any, if, uh, if one of these containers was ever broken or became unclean, if it ever became unclean, you just broke it because you could always replace it. Just broken and fragile. We, that's what our bodies are like. Our bodies are, are breakable, are, are easily, are fragile. They are weak. They are, they are able to be broken. We are in, in some ways he is talking here about, about the ways that our bodies are in continual decay. They are continually wearing away, wearing out. We've got this treasure in, in these bodies, and it has a purpose. He says at the end of verse 7, he says, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. This is, this is a part of God's plan. Sometimes we wonder, uh, I think we, we wonder, why, why is it that we are not just translated into heaven as soon as we put our faith in Jesus Christ? And there, there are multiple answers to that question. There are multiple reasons to that. One of them is simply that the the very continuous our continuance in faith, despite the wearing away of our bodies, our continuance in, in following Jesus Christ, despite the the breakableness, the 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 fragility of our bodies, demonstrates the power of God. And he describes that in verses eight through ten. He talks about we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Now in each of these comparisons, there is kind of a there's kind of a Hey, we're, we're kind of partially broken, but we're not crushed all the way. That's what he's talking about. Like, like we're, we're being broken. But Paul has talked about in, in chapter one, he's talked about the way that he was, he had already uh, thought of himself as a dead man. He had already thought of himself as sentenced to, to death because of the affliction that he faced in, in Asia. Uh, he was facing difficulty where he would just be ripped apart by mob violence or he would be, he would be imprisoned or he would be starved or he, he's, he's talking about all these things that were happening to his body. Well, here he's saying, yes, these things happened, but, but we were afflicted in every way, but we were not crushed all the way. God didn't allow it. He talked about in chapter one, he talked about we were delivered. But they, why was he afflicted? He's afflicted. So the power would be demonstrated to be belong to God, but he was not crushed because God delivered him. Or he's perplexed, literally at a loss, but not completely at a loss, not driven to despair. 
Why is that? God delivered him. I, he, was, he, was he at times, and I think about, think about how much of our suffering is mental and emotional. Do we, are, are we not, uh, Paul is even reflecting here something about human beings that we are often wondering, God, why are things the way that they are? Why is this happening to us? Why is this happening in the world? Why have you allowed this to happen? But while we are, are perplexed, while we are at a loss, God does not allow us. God delivers us from ultimate despair. We were persecuted. He's talking about particularly the opposition of, of unbelievers, of opponents in every city, every place that Paul went. He would find people who would believe the gospel. He would also find people who opposed the gospel. He was persecuted, but not forsaken by God. God would deliver him. God would save him. God would deliver him out of every situation. Struck down. Uh, literally, you could kind of think of this, struck down, but not destroyed, or knocked, knocked down, but not out. It's the, it's, it's the word that it would be used for someone who was got decked, uh, but keeps getting up. Paul, Paul keeps talking about, yes, yes, we're, 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 we get, keep getting beaten up. Look at my body. You know, look, it, it, when, when Paul would appear before anybody, when he would start talking, when he would go to any city and he would start to teach in any church and he would start proclaiming the gospel in any marketplace, uh, he didn't look very good. His clothes didn't look good. His body was starting to take on the, the marks of Jesus Christ. What he's talking about is his body is starting to show evidence of his suffering for Jesus Christ. It wasn't just the, it wasn't just the age. It was the mileage. He was going from place to place being stoned, let out of windows. He was being starved. He was being left out and exposed to the elements. And to the Corinthians, that is not what a gospel minister looks like. That's not what a real apostle looks like. A real apostle who preaches a glorious message, who preaches a treasured message, who preaches a great message like the gospel, well, they should be a great container. They should look like someone who is, who is impressive. They should look like somebody who is strong. They should look like someone that God has protected and kept blemish-free. That's not the way Paul was. And that's not, he says, that's not the way it's supposed to be. If it looks like we are blemish-free and crack-free and, and divot-free and we are in every way, we are in every way beautiful containers, well, that takes away from the very, from the very treasure that we are containing. What we contain, what, what is in us and what comes out of us when we proclaim the gospel is a treasure. And the very purpose of our degrading bodies is that we would show forth the glory of God. And he says in verse, picks up in verse 10, he says, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Verses 8 through 10 explain what he's talking about by jars of clay. And this is the, the summation of it all. We're carrying in us the body, the, the death of Jesus. We're, we follow a crucified Savior. And if we even think about those descriptions in verses 8 and 9, all of those, it, Paul, Paul was afflicted but not crushed. Uh, Paul was, Paul was uh, struck down but not destroyed. Paul was persecuted but not forsaken. He was not forsaken. He was not crushed. But our Savior Jesus Christ was crushed. He was forsaken by God. He was forsaken in the place of sinners. 
So when Paul is talking about the, the path that he is traveling, the way that he is going, he is saying, I'm simply following the path that Jesus laid out for us. If I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, or I'm going to be one who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, I'm going to be one who, who lives uh, and follows Jesus Christ, then I am going to start to bear some of the marks of Jesus Christ. And the, the reason why I am in my body, we are in our bodies carrying this death, it's so that the life of Jesus Christ will be manifested in us. The life of Jesus Christ will be clear in us. What is it? What is it that keeps these people going? What is it that keeps apostles like Paul going? What is it that keeps the churches going? It's the life of Jesus Christ. He says it again, verse 11. He says, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Paul's saying, hey, I, I'm, I'm doing all of this. He's speaking as an apostle, as one who is specifically designated by Jesus Christ and sent out by Jesus Christ to be a witness for Jesus Christ, to say, here's the gospel. Here's the good news about Jesus Christ, raised from the dead. And so he's saying that the very reason why we are given over to death, the very reason why our bodies are being broken, our bodies are being uh, harmed, our bodies are being chipped, is so that there will be the life of Jesus manifested, the life of Jesus displayed, and it would get to you. I want it to get to people. He wanted to see the Corinthians saved. He wanted the power of God displayed in his broken body so that people like the Corinthians would be saved. If that's the way it is with the apostle, what makes us think that it would be different for those who follow Jesus Christ? What makes us think that it would be different for the church? That the church would be there. There is the idea that somehow through our showmanship and our, our gloriousness and our, our magnificence that we would display Jesus Christ. Let's, let's display Jesus Christ by our unblemished problem-freeness. And Paul is, is giving another pattern. A theology not of glory, but a theology of the cross where you descend where you, you come down in humility, and then there's exaltation. The death comes before the resurrection. We die with Jesus Christ. We die like Jesus Christ. He died as a propitiation for our sins, and we follow the model of his life in, in humble service. You look at the way he thinks about the power. The power is not ours. And so God has intentionally planned it out so that when we live, when we live for Jesus Christ, when we live out our own assignments by the power of, of Jesus Christ living in us, we display, we show everyone, hey, it's not our power. It's God's power. The power belongs to Jesus Christ. The power belongs to God. So that means when Paul is, is talking about, uh, as, he all, as he does throughout the book of 2 Corinthians, he talks about himself 
as a as a model of ministry as opposed to the uh, as opposed to the other model of ministry that was making its way through Corinth. The other model of ministry where they spoke really well and they looked really good and they had a good show. And here you have apostles coming in and they have kind of a lackluster style. They don't look great. They don't look appealing. No, nobody looks at Paul and says, man, I, just, I really want to be like Paul. I mean, I know that we think of Paul as the great apostle, as we should. But if we looked at Paul, all of the evidence says we would not, we would not think, wow, not exactly what we thought he'd be. Well, he's comparing that ministry to the ministry of, of a glorious ministry. One that looks good, one that sounds good, one that, one that, one that has showmanship and eloquence and, and appeal. That one that is attractive. Instead, Paul saying, just making an open statement of the truth. Just, just speaking about, about what is true. That's all we have is an open statement of the truth. That's all we, all we're called to is to make an open statement of the truth, to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we think about what Paul is doing, he's only continuing the line and the pattern of what Jesus Christ did. When we think about the suffering servant described in Isaiah 53, somebody that when people looked at him, they didn't think much of him. When they looked at him at his death, they looked away because they could not imagine that this this person who is hung on a cross, who is there being openly spat upon and mocked and shamed, one from whom even God himself is turning his, his face away, where there is the, the, the evidence and the picture of God, the darkness and the uh, over at midday of the, the judgment of God on him and him crying out from the cross, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They are looking at him and they're saying, here is one forsaken by God. Here is one that God has, has abandoned. They didn't see the glory of God in Jesus Christ hung on a cross. But Jesus said, I will be lifted up and I will draw all men to myself. That is all of those who are believing and being saved. All those whose eyes are being opened. All those who have the veil of uh, uh, that is blocking the glory of God, having it taken away. If we want to follow Jesus Christ, if we want to call ourselves Christians, if we want to follow, call ourselves Christ followers, then we have to be prepared uh, and begin to exhibit this pattern of ministry. One that is not about our own glory, but about Jesus Christ, about the power of God. Now then, we see that the power belongs to God. Next, we see that the glory belongs to God. Look at verses 13 through 15. He says, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. There he talks about that since we have the same spirit of faith, 
according to what's been written. And he quotes from Psalm 116. In Psalm 116, the, the psalmist is, is talking about the ways that he's been afflicted, the ways that he has been uh, abandoned by his friends. His friends have turned his back on him, and he has enemies who are coming after him, and he's afflicted in his body. Well, Paul is saying, we have the same spirit, and I think that should be capital S spirit. That is the spirit that produces faith, the spirit that grants faith. We have the same spirit as the psalmist. The psalmist in Psalm 116 was afflicted, and yet he kept on believing. And we're the same way. We are afflicted. We keep on believing. We keep on speaking. And think about that. Uh, I'll, I'll, we, we are afflicted. When we are ostracized, when we are marginalized, when we are... Uh, when our bodies start to give way, when our bodies start to break, when when things begin to go wrong in our lives, when we are persecuted, uh, when we are perplexed, our our minds are at a loss. We we are confused, uh, too seemingly bent to the last thread of our mental well-being. When we're there, what is it that is, is, is it possible that we would keep on believing? And Paul says, yes, when I was talking about being afflicted but not crushed, when I was talking about being uh, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck back down but not destroyed, when I was talking about that, I was talking about the, uh, the afflictions that are not only a part of being an apostle, not only a part of, of being this, this witness, but is a common part of the Christian life. But we have been afflicted this way and we are still believing God's promises. We are still believing in Jesus Christ and we are still speaking for Jesus Christ. I, there is always the fear. There's always the fear as I think about you, as I pray for you, that there are some of you who will face affliction and your so-called faith will, will dry up and blow away. Jesus talked about those who displayed a kind of faith. A so-called faith, but not a saving faith. And when persecution came, their faith withered. Or their faith was choked out by the, by the concerns of the world. That is always, that, that should be our, our concern. That we would not have that kind of faith, but we would have the kind of faith that understands the gospel. That believes the gospel. That bears fruit in accordance with the gospel. So let's have the same kind of faith that the psalmist had. Let's have the same kind of faith that Paul had. The kind of faith that even though, even when we are afflicted, even when we are perplexed, even when we are, we are seemingly feeling like we are drowning in the troubles of the world, that we are still believing in Jesus Christ. We are still believing God. We're still believing the promises of God. And he gives us in verse 14, the personal motivation. How do, you, how do you get people to press on despite difficulty? Well, he says, we know, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. In both 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, there is this emphasis on the resurrection. The resurrection keeps us going. When Paul, when Paul sees all the troubles of life, all the troubles of ministry, he doesn't give up because he knows that this isn't all there is. He's not judging only by sight. He's believing what he cannot see. 
but what has been displayed in the raising of Jesus Christ from the dead. The promise is that everyone who believes in Jesus Christ will be raised like Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died, but Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. He said, I am the resurrection and the life, and everyone who believes in him, though he die, just like everybody else, yet shall he live. The personal motivation for each and every one of us to keep on going is knowing my broken, fragile body when it breaks and when it falls to pieces and when it falls into the dust, that's not the end. Instead, I'm going to be raised with an immortal body, with a body that cannot die, with a body that cannot be broken, with a body that cannot go away. With a body like Jesus Christ when he was raised from the dead, with a body like that one which has ascended to the right hand of God. With a body like the same one that Jesus Christ will come with when he returns. You have seen him ascend. You have seen him go the same way that he went, the same way he will come back. He will come back as judge. He will come back as our our final savior, our redeemer. He will come back and save us from all of the troubles of life and wipe away every tear. Well, what is it that keeps us going through all the all the confusing parts of life, all the persecutions, all the afflictions? It is the It is the belief that we are going to be raised with Jesus Christ. Everybody who really believes that Jesus was raised from the dead and is really confident and, and resting upon him is not giving up their faith when affliction comes. They're not giving up. They're not stopping believing. They're not continuing. They're, they're, not, they're not turning back. If we, think, if we think the way the Corinthians think, that we're supposed to, that, that since we will have glory, that now we have glory, if we think that we're supposed to look good, if we look like we're, we're supposed to look strong, then what happens to people when that doesn't happen? Their faith is gone. They, they, thought, they thought that they, they received the gospel the way Jesus Christ talks about it in the, in the parable of the sower. He talks about one, one, one kind of soil. They received it with joy. Why, they th- why did they receive it with joy? Thought it was good. It was good news. They thought it was good news that would come without difficulty. Not knowing that Jesus also taught through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. That is the personal motivation. Verse 15 is the end goal. He says, for it is all for your sake. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving. To the glory of God. So the the personal motivation is. I'm going to be raised with Jesus Christ. Paul even says. I'm going to be raised with Jesus Christ. And presented with you in his presence. they're, They're going to stand before God. They're going to be with Jesus Christ. Together. But the goal of all of it in the in the meantime, the kind of the kind of the goal, the the overarching goal for all of it. The grace of God gets to more and more people. Why why would why would Paul suffer this affliction? Why would he be willing to even go places and preach the gospel where he knew the the result of it was likely to be that he would be imprisoned and possibly executed? That he would so often be shouted down. He would so often be opposed. Well, he wants it to extend to more and more people. So I'm going to, despite affliction, I'm going to go and proclaim the gospel so that the, God, so that the grace of God extends to more and more people. When the grace of God extends to more and more people, there will be more thanksgiving to God. And when there is thanksgiving to God, 
there is glory to God. The goal of all things, the chief end, the main goal of all things is the glory of God. And Paul sets out a, a pattern of how you get there. You go and you, you proclaim the gospel despite opposition. More, the grace of God extends to more and more people. This, the Spirit's eye-opening, awakening work works in people so that they believe in Jesus Christ. And they thank God. Every place where people know the salvation of Jesus Christ, they give thanks to God. And more people give thanks to God, the more glory God is going to get. Sometimes, I, I think, uh, sometimes I, I've made statements, and I, I think this is right, uh, that we are not really given to kind of a, a bean-counting kind of, of ministry here. So we don't talk a lot about attendance. We don't talk a lot about decisions. We don't talk a lot about baptisms. As if, as if what the, the main thing was is that we would count. The reason why that is is because in many cases, that undermines the very open statement of the truth that we are striving for. If we're worried about more and more people uh, being actually just sitting here, if we're worried about that, that, that in some way brings us back from trying to really just tell it like it is, just make an open statement of the truth. If we, if we want to record more baptisms, then we could easily take the edge off the gospel. We wouldn't, we wouldn't proclaim it with all of its difficulties, with all of the repentance that is required, with all of the, uh, the realities that a person has to understand. We, we, we kind of hold back. But just because we don't make an emphasis of numbers doesn't mean we don't want more. We want more. We do want more. We want more grace to extend to more people. That means that we are going to proclaim the gospel so that more people would be converted. We're going to proclaim God's word because we want more people to grow. The more the gospel goes out, the more people will come to faith in Jesus Christ. The more people will be brought into the church. The more people will be discipled. The more people will be giving thanks to God, which means more glory to God. More people giving thanks to God means more glory for God. That's why we support those who would go out uh, to share the gospel with all peoples, with peoples in, far away from us, with people who are near from us. That's why we want to see more churches started, more, more people, uh, more of the gospel claimed, more people coming to faith in Jesus Christ, more people growing within the context of the church, more churches started among more peoples all over the world. We want more, more, more. We are willing, we should be willing, like Paul, to suffer to make that happen. We ought to be ready to receive in our bodies similar kinds of opposition, similar kinds of affliction to get the gospel out there to more people who need to hear the gospel. We want to see the grace of God extend to more and more and more people because the chief end, the main goal is the glory of God. And the main way to glorify God is keep preaching the gospel so that the grace of God can extend to more and more people. More people give thanks to God. More people glorified by God. Well, that's it. Well, I can, I can keep doing that. We can keep doing that because we know we're going to be raised with Jesus Christ. What happens to our bodies? And, Nobody's taking away from the pain. We all know the pain to varying degrees. But we keep proclaiming the gospel. 
We keep holding faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the end thing is, is that if we want the glory to go to God, that means the glory does not go to us. We have to, we have to let our desire for our own glory die. Not only do we have to let it die, we need to kill it. We need to embrace humble service in obscurity for the sake of Jesus Christ. We need to embrace suffering if necessary in all its manifestations, in all its, in all its varied ways that it, it comes upon us. We need to embrace humble service the same way that Jesus Christ came and served us. He served us by giving his life for us. We would give our lives to see the grace of God extend to more and more people. And so we die to ourselves. We die to our own glory. We die to any concept of being glorified in this time. And instead, we put all of our hope in being glorified when Jesus Christ returns. We let that be our hope. We let what we do here be to the glory of God. And that's really the tie-in to, to both these paragraphs that we've looked at, to the idea of what Paul, the kind of ministry, the kind of Christian life that Paul is describing. It is the kind of life that gives glory to God. It is not human ingenuity. It is not human uh, power. It is God's power. It is not human persuasion. It is not... Uh, Human innovation, it is God's power. That leaves us in jars of clay, going out, gathering together as a church, proclaiming the gospel here, going out every week to our various assignments, to the places that God has us, in our homes, at our workplace, in our neighborhoods, sharing the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, loving our neighbor to God's glory. Grant that we would live that kind of life. We would live that kind of life together. We would display that kind of life to the world. That through the death of our bodies, that the death of Jesus would be displayed in our bodies to the glory of God as the life of Jesus Christ is also goes out and more and more people are saved. Let's pray for that. Let's hope for that. Let's suffer for that. Let's proclaim the gospel with a view to seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Father, uh, thank you for uh, the the display of humble service that you have given us in uh, your servant and your slave. And grant that we would follow the same pattern, the same pattern as our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the same pattern as those uh, those men and women of faith who have gone before us, those who held uh, to the promises, those who held uh, to uh, the hope of life everlasting in Jesus Christ. Help us to trust in him. Help us to hope in him. Help us to be uh, filled with, with his life in ourselves. Grant that we would die to, to any sense of any desire to glorify ourselves, any desire to show ourselves to be powerful or, or glorious or, or uh, good-looking or, or help us to in no way diminish your power or your glory by setting ourselves up as uh, glorious instruments. Help us to know that we are nothing but jars of clay, that we are fragile, uh, broken. Uh, we have fragile, broken bodies. 
that are only here as a way of displaying the treasure of the gospel. Help us to hold it in ourselves and hold it out to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.